1: join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today
0: welcome to the rocket Chip podcast i'm michael saka
2: and I'm Joel Steiniger. Today we talked with David Cicerelli, the CEO of Voices.com. What'd you think, Michael?
0: So it was interesting to hear about how they built out early processes in their business um, that enabled them to scale. And they weren't often the things that uh, you would think. Um, you know, it was a lot of whiteboarding sessions and um, cheap databases, but they made the mistakes early and they were able to know what to do when they needed to actually implement something at scale. And so that was it was very interesting to hear about. What did you think?
2: Yeah, I like that. And I like that um, he doesn't spin his wheels on software that's not necessary at his size yet. Um, I think we all are guilty of that at some point. Um, it's kind of fun to play around with a new tool and all that. But at the end of the day, you're probably doing yourself a disservice um, at a small size with a small team when you get away with um, kind of a non-tech or a low-tech version of the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. So so yeah, let's get into it.
3: Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. It helps you send the right messages at the right time based on how your customers are using your app. Go to customer.io slash rocket to start sending emails that convert.
0: All right, cool. So David, um, tell us about Voices. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity to, to tell
3: the story, I guess. Uh, yeah. Voices.com really originated um, when I graduated from audio engineering school as a bit of a nerd and learned how to use the technology um, in the recording studio. Uh, I opened up a small uh, project studio, if you will, in our hometown here Um, bought the equipment to do so and started recording local musicians you know hip-hop artists um, garage bands and so forth and actually got my name in the newspaper on my birthday of all days (laughs) and uh, what it it was interesting it turned out that um, Stephanie who's now my wife and co-founder well at the time she was a classically trained uh, singer you see she would sing at weddings and events and uh, funerals and special events and so forth and her mom Uh, saw this newspaper article, cut it out, put it on her bed and said, hey, you should go get a demo CD done with this guy um, to promote your kind of freelance singing business. So Stephanie comes in, um, chaperoned (laughs) by her mom, and um, we hit it off. We ended up doing this work um, to gather her demo CD. But because of that uh, same newspaper article, there were other local businesses that wanted – a voice for their phone system somebody wanted to run a local advertising campaign on the radio and they wanted a female voice so i suggested hey stephanie why don't you come back into the studio read these scripts and um the way i tell the story is that we i said that we would split the money she never seems to remember that part but um, <laughs> i'm pretty sure we did I'm pretty sure and um and that kind of just kicked us off into getting into doing voiceovers and we were doing so, uh, you know, on a local basis and put up a very, you know, rudimentary style uh, primitive website um, where we started getting, you know, inbound interest from other freelance voice talent and actors and broadcasters saying, hey, if you need a, a guy who speaks French or you need somebody with a booming baritone or you want somebody with a British accent, um, then, you know, I'm your guy or gal and can I be on your website? So we started listing these, uh, these names and that was you know, I guess, you know, the the aha moment was, well, if we're listing all these talent, they're located all around the world. Why don't we, instead of just kind of promoting this small little recording studio we have in the city, transform this into a marketplace where on one hand we have, you know, we had a few dozen talent at the time and then, you know, our whole modus operandi would be how do you get these talent work? And so we, you know, did the, I guess the, you know, proverbial pivot as they, as they say, right. And, and, uh, we sold all the recording equipment that I had probably, I want to say about fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 worth, um, reinvested that in hiring a developer, um, to take what we built ourselves into, you know, a full blown database and a web application and then, uh, launched what is now become voices.com.
0: So uh, you guys have, uh, I mean, the voiceover industry is, is, you know, decades old. Yeah. Um, You guys come in with a new model. You've landed some fantastic clients seeing from your website, NBC, ABC, PBS. Um, How did you, how did you convince them to use your platform over what they were probably, how they were sourcing before, maybe through agents?
3: Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think what was really amazing is, is that it's really no different than any other market. a a prospective customer has a problem and if they, they ask their friends and maybe family members, but you ask around and if no one has a good recommendation to you, what do we do? We go Google it, right? If that's not Mm -hmm. the default choice in the first place. And right from the beginning, I mean, before, you know, SEO was really a thing. um, I was all, I was just, you know, uh, you know, knees deep into this uh, because I knew that there was tremendous power in Going where the people were looking, and they were all looking on Google and, and Yahoo um, at you know at, at the time, and trying to figure out how do we get in front of them and draw traffic to us. It was also um, the earliest days of the Google AdWords platform, and so you know we uh, advertised quite heavily uh, early on, which was costing like five cents a click, like whereas now that might be five dollars. Um, Right, So, you know, traffic was was just dirt cheap. And so kind of bringing the traffic to us in terms of an acquisition um, or, you know, an an attraction in the first place and then um, presenting a kind of a compelling message. I mean, we had really great sounding talent and enough of a critical mass, which, I mean, it's not even a critical mass. I mean, we had a few dozen, as I mentioned, um, where we created these little mini profiles. I mean, this is way before... LinkedIn and Facebook and kind of social networking or even having a profile on on the web. So the talent were presented in a professional manner and that's all these clients wanted. They just wanted to find a a, a simple way to hire somebody to get the work done. And Voices has always been a utility for that reason. Um, People aren't spending hours on here poking around for fun. It's because they have a project they need done and typically a looming deadline. And so uh, a web marketplace and online marketplace really kind of feeds into that, um, to meeting those needs in a, in a timely basis. And I think it's that fast turnaround time, the access to the talent quickly, um, was, was what won us, which, you know, won us some great, uh, relationships
0: over the years. So we talked before the call about, um, kind of some of the things that, that you can do as an entrepreneur to get ready to scale. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to hear, it sounds like this grew very organically, but I'd love to hear um, kind of your insight on what entrepreneurs can do when they're getting started to make sure that they don't hit some of those roadblocks.
3: Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, as as founders, um, you know, Stephanie and I, I mean, it's uh, certainly not necessarily recommended for for everyone kind of being, you know married and co-founders, there are some great success stories along that front, but um, one thing I think we got right was, uh, you know, on the upside, you know, we live, breathe, eat, and sleep this business, um, but we also defined our, literally, like, our job description. I just remember clearly getting out a piece of paper, putting a line down the middle of it, and like, okay, Steph, what do you want me to do, and what do you think you're really good at? And here's what I think you're also really good at those things, so you can own that, those aspects of the business. And by having those, you know, delineations early on as either uh, co-founders or an early, um, early employees, th- that is going to eliminate a lot of uh, questions, arguments, long meetings about who's doing what, when, and where, and why. Um, by getting basically it down on paper, areas of responsibility. So I think that set us up for, for longer term success. The the other piece um, that kind of fell out of that was. Having a system um, or a series of systems, if you will, that um, that supported each of those roles. So, for example, with us, we like way back in the day um, when we first got started. I mentioned these kind of two dozen uh, voice talent that we had listed. We just had a giant whiteboard and we wrote everybody's name down on it. Um, And so, whenever we would get an email inbound from a new uh, a new customer or somebody that might be interested, we literally just kept it. Um, not only top of mind, but like right in front of our faces on this, on this huge whiteboard of who both our our existing customers and, and maybe potentials would be. Um, and by having, you know, and that kind of led into, you know, ultimately getting it into some type of a uh, database, which uh, was initially a shared um, <laughs> Google. It was actually, sorry, it was called uh, Microsoft entourage for Mac. It was, actually pretty bad um, and and then that led into like software as a service um, after that so um, you know when you define the roles and responsibilities I mean broadly speaking I was always responsible for the clients or the buyers of voiceover services and Stephanie was always responsible for the talent and promoting them and educating them on how to do work on this platform and so that led into okay well each of us are responsible for the systems that go to support those, um, those areas of responsibility. So, yeah, hopefully that makes
0: sense. Yeah, well, typically when we talk about scale, right, um, we're we're like future-proofing our code base totally. or, uh, or we're preparing for a million users. Why yeah. do you think that this um, kind of works instead? Because, I mean, using a, a, a whiteboard um, or a, a poorly uh, structured database is... It, you, you can't do that at a million no um, but how do you see this helping you scale um, in the early days and and why does it work for you
3: yeah I think it's because you can make you can make mistakes on a small scale that don't amplify into an enormous disaster so um, for example how to handle duplicate records um, you know are you what's your unique identifier for your users is it a username or is it an email address or is it some number Um that would be one example, and you can figure that out basically with a spreadsheet when you have maybe hundreds or thousands. Um, mm-hmm. But when you get millions, it's a, just a complete disaster. Um, so I think you can you can solve those. One, identify what the potential problems are in a really uh, controlled environment before you before you are a lot bigger, and then when it does come time to looking at, you know, speaking to scale, um, you know, when we ultimately uh, selected a customer relationship management um, system, so we use Salesforce. I mean, we we signed on to Salesforce in 2005. I mean, they were a very, very young company, way different than they they are now. No partners, no, you know, I mean, it was really, really uh, quite different. Um, But we believed in the vision, which was, hey, we can add employees on quickly. Um, You know, theoretically, this thing, we can have you know, tens of millions of records um, in here. So the, the thought that goes through my mind, and there's an article I wrote about on this called 10X um, Thinking, which is um, basically a hot tip to, uh, I believe Grant Cardone has an, a book on the same, uh, same concept. Um, but when building something, if you're going to bother, you know, after you've gone through the no tech and then some low tech, and then you've like selecting a system, select something that's, you know, 10X bigger than you need at present. Or maybe even hundred X. Now, it really shouldn't be that much more expensive. It's just build something that is expandable that can scale relatively easily. I mean, Amazon's S three services, or um, you, you know, Salesforce, I think is another great example. Or you know, running your email through Gmail and using the Google App Suite. I mean, those are all things that are infinitely scalable, um, you know, theoretically, but you know, that, that can really handle your company going from zero to, um, to you being a hero in your, in your space. And so that, that's, that's kind of some of those rules of thumb that I use is like 10 X or hundred X thinking when it's the right time to like actually invest in something that's going to help you get big.
2: So is your philosophy to kind of use the lowest possible tech solution until it just hurts so bad, you have to move on to the next rung?
3: I, I would say so and and while it might seem counterintuitive, um, I think you can actually move faster because otherwise you just get caught up I mean, look at if we're talking about product, I mean you, you don't want to compromise on your product. But if you're talking about like, oh, how do we handle, you know, vacation day requests in the office? Or how do we handle the ordering of our coffee supplies or you know, these kind of things don't need complicated solutions at the beginning. Um Otherwise, you're over-engineering every single aspect of your business. And the only thing that should be engineered to that degree is your product. Uh, so I, we really try to keep things ridiculously simple. I mean, um, yeah, there's a system uh, and there's a method to the, you know, and the, not that it's madness necessarily, but there's certainly a method there. Um, but I just think when you can make something tangible and visual, like using sticky notes and whiteboards and, you know, physical reminders um, to the point where that's breaking down, you're, then you're, then the question becomes, how do I digitize this? How do I get it into a computer? How do I make it flow without me approving everything, you know, physically, you know, th- then I think you're making ultimately going
0: to make smarter decisions. It's slower yeah. at the beginning, but then it's faster in the long run. No, it makes sense. You make your you make cheap mistakes, I guess. It's cool. kind of
3: cool. yeah. And we talked earlier about you know, there's I think there's a a notion that you know, oh, our company could be a hundred times bigger if we just had a, a ten million dollar investment. Well, you pour ten million dollars on you know your five hundred thousand dollar a year revenue company, it's you're going to make way more costly mistakes because all you've done is just amplify that. That's what money does. It it amplifies what you're already doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing the right things when you're small, they're going to be painfully obvious when you're that much bigger, because so you, you spend, you know, you, you spend your investment on acquiring more users. Well, if you have a terrible onboarding process and a brutal product and a challenging way to do, you know, a customer service, all those are going to be like issues are going to be screaming at you. And then you're just going to feel like you're treading water and, and never really, um,
0: you know, moving ahead in, in a meaningful way. Do you have any, um, kind of rule of thumb of, for, for, you know, what young founders, where to start, right? Um, so like, are, are there different things that you say, spend your time over here, um, but do this cheaply and, and effectively?
3: Um, I, th- I think, um, rule of thumb, I think you need a great customer system. I mean, this is i mean, only speaking from experience. Um, mm. I would say an amazing financial system because that's an amazing customer system. Those are the two bedrocks. I mean, the, everything else is built on, on those. Um, you don't recognize that at the beginning. You're like, I mean, we used QuickBooks. We're like, oh, this is fine. This is no problem until you get to that point where a small business, it's you know, if you're if you're thinking about doing automated transactions, and and in most kind of online platforms of any degree would be, um, you should be thinking about that. Uh, think about how you're going to handle customers. Uh, that's why I've never really uh, understood. You know, and it's just not my space, which is you know maybe my my lack of knowledge here. But you know, if if you're encouraging someone to download, uh, you know, your and use your app. Um, I would want to know who that person is um, and be able to engage them over the long run. So I just, you know, I think having a great customer system that does everything that that allows you to do marketing, sales, and, and you know service or support. And then the, you know, when there is a sale, you know, how are you actually handling and accounting for that financial transaction? Those are the those are the two biggies that we did the the you know CRM very very early. I think we could have done better on the financial system. Um, We got in the right place. It was just, we probably waited too long. So I think if there was, you know, a rule of thumb of two areas that are going to be operational to some degree and supporting your business, I would focus on those um, to get those right early on.
2: Do you think people worry about scale too early um, and like end up spinning their wheels thinking about how are we going to handle this massive scale when in reality that's kind of way off in the future?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the best thing to focus on is, you know, I mean, even to talking about these systems, I mean, get a, have an awesome product. Um, and, you know, I've read a lot about, uh, you know, a great product is the best marketing that you can have. And I totally believe that um, because that's going to be the kind of thing that people use and they, they don't just download it once and use it once. It's there. You want to figure out how to become part of somebody's day uh, and that's that's what defines a, a high usage product, and when you look at something like you know Skype or you know Facebook or LinkedIn, I mean these are apps that people you know and, and platforms people are using multiple times per day. So that's the sign of, of a great product. Voices, you know, our talent are doing auditions ten times a day, so they're constantly being brought back to the website to. Um, submit an audition and, and you know, uh, be in consideration for those job opportunities. Uh, so, you know, some people call that, you know, stickiness. I just, I just, I would confer, I would consider that usage rather than just somebody hanging around using my, you know, looking at my app. I want somebody to actually use it as part of their day. So that, that's the first place and get that right. And there's some simple ways to know if, even if you're on the, on the right path. I mean, we grew slowly, but surely, um but we did so because we always asked for customer feedback literally not through you know surveys and just kind of like you know from a distance literally we went and met with customers um we picked up the phone and asked you know perceived uh, industry authority figures how we should do things i mean it was a phone call and someone's going to be willing to give up some of their time um you know to be able to you know pass some some knowledge you know along i mean if you want to go all out you can you can give them a you know a nice gift basket or something on you know as a as a you know a token thank you um, on the end i mean that, that stuff's meaningful and you can you can get pretty significant um, endorsements uh, and just clarity over if you're tr- transforming an industry or the way it was done for the last 20 30 40 years and you've got a new solution, um, ask people, what is, like, what's your biggest beef with how you're currently doing business or the way the industry works right now? And then you can say, well, if I could do one thing to knock your socks off and change that, what would that look like? And these, like, and just let them talk. Um, one, uh, speaking of kind of, I mean, it's relatively low tech is that we installed this toll-free telephone line into our uh, home office, really. And this phone would ring all the time. People didn't know if they're calling into, you know, basically a two-person operation in a dinette in a condo uh, or if they were calling into a Fortune 500 company. We had, you know, Stephanie had her nice voice doing the greeting on the, on the beginning of this phone. But we, because it was a toll-free phone number uh, plastered at the top of every page on our website, we figured it was cheaper to drive an inbound call than to us do constantly doing prospecting outbound, Um, and when people called in, you know, we would ask them straight up, how did you find us? Why did you choose to call in? What prompted the phone call? Hey, if we could do something, how, you know, I just wanted to show you something quickly, maybe a page you hadn't seen on the website. Does this make sense to you? You know, talk me through it. And we would basically be soliciting customer feedback from those inbound calls to constantly be making the product better and easier to use. So I wouldn't underestimate the, the value of a phone call, I guess is where I'm going with that one.
0: So what's, um, what's one surprising thing you've learned from managing a marketplace for the you know, the last like, several years? Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, that you really de- do need to have an equal balance between the buyers and sellers. And you can't like, and this is, you know, as they, this, they call us often the chicken and the egg problem, Um, You need enough sellers or service providers or enough, you know, product listings or whatever, you know, what have you in order to attract somebody who might be wanting to buy that. And so you need the the variety and variation in order for their buyers to kind of bother showing up. Um, We just did that really small at the beginning and we split our, no, granted it helped that there was two of us and each of us were focused on building up our own kind of sides of the business. But we always supported each other. We always like, not that, it, I mean, it was certainly a healthy degree of kind of competition of like, how many buyers do we have? How many talent do we have? And making sure that our ad spend was in tandem, our email messages, newsletters were done differently for each side of the marketplace. Um, that the messaging and like blog posts and everything was done and tailored for dependent on kind of what user type you were and that they were given equal attention. Even, even to this day with you know well over a quarter million users it's it's a surprisingly close split. I think it's like 48 52 like it's it's very very close. Um and I think that's a testament to our determination to not let one side of the market get wildly out of
0: control. Have you had to control both sides at different points? Uh yeah,
3: I would say more recently we've been Putting a greater emphasis on the buyers, um, simply because in this situation, when you do uh, have—I hate to use the uh, term—but kind of this critical mass of talent. I mean, whether we had a you know a hundred thousand, hundred and twenty, hundred and fifty thousand talent, I mean, it's not making a huge amount of difference. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly, we would love to have great people who have great voices, and you know, if they want to sign up, then then by all means, but. In terms of our sales and marketing efforts, they're, at this point, um, heavily skewed uh, towards attracting the clients. And the reason should be fairly straightforward uh, and and obvious to those listening, that if you you bring the people, in effect, with the money, then you're always going to have supply there. You know, we're we're trying to, it's a demand-driven marketplace, so you want to tap into that demand these people are going to be spending it somewhere. If they could just bring uh, and ship those dollars over to Voices, then we know we're going to keep our population or our community of voice talent happy. They're going to continue to, to stay engaged because they're getting work. And that has its own like viral component because they get work, they go to a workshop or some acting class or lesson, or they're in a studio with someone else. And they say, hey, how are you getting your work nowadays? Oh, I'm using this, vo- this site called Voices.com. Oh, that's interesting. I've heard good things. Should I sign up? Well, you might as well give it a go. It's been working for me. So mm. if we can continue to basically, the, the, the talent community already talks with one another, and we've got that whole, you know, we've we really kind of tapped into that. The, the buyers tend to be more independent, so it just requires more effort to, um, to, to introduce our service and, um, you know, encourage them to, to, to transition uh, how they're doing business.
0: Have you ever had a, a buyer who wanted voice talent, but you didn't have any talent for, for their need? Oh, I feel
3: like um, it's usually around really, uh, I would say like an, an obscure language. I mean, okay. there's, I mean, not to put you on the spot. I mean, if you were to guess, how many languages do you think
0: there are in the world? Um, 150, 200?
3: 6,000. Wow. Right. So most of them are spoken by like indigenous people groups. Okay. Because um, you, you know, you think, oh, well, there's like, you know, United Nations says there's like 220 countries in the world. And maybe, yeah, there's some countries speak multiple languages. But, you know, you go to like Indonesia and there's all these people groups that might, they have these languages that you've just never heard of. And there's, I mean, you can look that up on Wikipedia. There's like a whole, you know, listing and, and so forth. And, and sometimes we get, we're like, I don't even know, you know, and, and they're not necessarily going to have voice talent in those because there's not even a broadcasting mechanism amongst the people that speak that language. So it's, you know, sometimes they do, They we get these very challenging requests like that, but celebrity impersonations or like, I want a hero sounding voice or a, you know, a villain or a cowboy or a surfer dude. Like, I mean, those are pretty straightforward. Any kind of archetypes, that's no problem. Because it's acting. And actors, if they can't come up with the voice, you know, if if you don't exactly know what it is, then you make it up. Like, okay, it's a monster. Well, what do you want a monster to sound like for your crazy video game? Um, You know, it's like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. I mean, that has a very distinct thing. But before that, you wouldn't have thought that this little goblin character might have sounded just like that. Um, But now everyone can kind of uh, associate that. So... Um, yeah, great question. I think it's been more around these very, very obscure languages, though.
0: Yeah, yeah very cool. You learned
3: something well, new, didn't you?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so where can we keep up with you and, and Voices Online? Um, I think the best place would be
3: actually on uh, well on our website, of course, uh, www.voices.com. Great, simple domain name that sums up what we do uh, in, a, in a single word. Um, the other place would be at Voices on uh, Twitter. So uh, that's kind of on the company. Anybody who wants to email me or have questions, I'm um, always willing to answer those. Uh, maybe um, tell you a quick story about um, uh, or point you in the right direction or uh, even give you a resource of how we've been able to, uh, uh, to grow the company. Um, best place to reach me would be by email. So it's david at voices.com.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. Hey, great call today. Thanks, guys.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocketship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, Rocketship.fm.
0: And be sure to check out our app discount section, where we have discounts on products that we use every day, like WooThemes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to Rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today.